and welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and I'm welcoming this evening Morgan Daimler. She's back for a third go, and she is an author and a scholar on fairy lore, Irish language, culture, um, witchcraft, and all sorts of other esoteric things. And what we're going to be talking about tonight is theosophy. So, Morgan... Thank you for coming back. Thank you for having me. Uh, the reason I, I asked you here today, boy, it sounds like Agatha Christie right there, um, is <laughs> <laughs> is because you were having a conversation on, on Facebook about theosophy and fairy lore. And, you know, a lot of people were jumping in with, opinions and you had very strong opinions about theosophy as do I so jump right in with with you know your thoughts and 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 understandings yeah I I have very strong opinions on theosophy in a general sense um, but also very specifically when it comes to the subject of fairies because I I don't think a lot of people realize particularly people sort of in the witchcraft and, and neo-pagan communities, how much of the understanding of fairies that you'll find in books and, you know, sort of taught in various places is really coming directly from theosophy. You know, it sort of gets framed and put forward as if it, it's traditional folklore or like this is what people believe in Ireland or, or what have you, when it's actually something that we can, can fairly clearly pinpoint the source of. Um, and it, it's definitely uh, Madame Blavatsky and theosophy, you know, in the late 19th century, because at the time, a lot of the things that she was saying on this subject were very different and, and very particular to theosophy. So anytime the subject kind of comes up, I, I think it's always sort of worth pointing out some of these sources because you know, seeing people who are moving forward and, and have this idea of like, no, this is traditional. This is what, you know, people for hundreds of years have believed that fairies are, you know, what have you, elementals connected to the four elements and, and et cetera. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> that's no, actually, yeah, no, <laughs> um, we could just say that about a lot of what we're going to be talking about tonight. Just no, um, you know, and it, it really is something that's very specifically coming from that. And if you go and look at folklore in, in Ireland or Scotland or Wales or Germany, wherever, um, a lot of what gets kind of taken for granted as just sort of the, the baseline of belief is, is not going to be there. You're not going to find it um, because it's theosophy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, Theosophy isn't some ancient uh, belief system that has died out either. It's still going on. Um, there's still theosophical writers and publishers and, um, you know, uh, groups they that meet, websites. And uh, they, they do a decent uh, job of telling you where their sources came from sometimes yeah. not always but sometimes um but it, it it is a it is a belief system that was put together by uh madame blavatsky in the 
1870s. It's, it's, you know, and so when we, when we say things like, well, fairies got messed up by the Victorians, really, honestly, we should kind of, you know, put a little bit more of the emphasis on the theosophists and not just the Victorian, you know, fairy tale writers and illustrators that, the, the main portion of how, especially as you said, neo-pagans see mm-hmm. fairies came exactly directly from her. Yep. Yep. And that, I was just going to say, you know, when we're talking about the Victorians reshaping fairies, that's where we get the pop culture fairies from. Uh-huh. You know, the fairies that you're going to find in like Disney and um, sort of across fiction in a lot of cases and artwork and things like that. Um, we can still blame the Victorians for that. Oh, yeah. No yeah. problem. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but, yeah, generally witchcraft, um, neo-pagans, particularly sort of coming from that Western viewpoint, um, a lot of just the the assumptions that are made, you know, things that are taught about fairies as if they're just basic truths, are actually coming really from theosophy. So, you know, I mentioned the four elements the elementals and you're not going to find that you know in in traditional folklore there's no idea of dividing fairies up by elements um not every every culture even had four elements so that mm-hmm. complicates it too um but blavatsky when she was writing about these beings um you know it, sort of in that foundational theosophical period um she was the one who was very clear about assigning them to these classical elements and um, sort of dividing them up into these kingdoms. Uh, Because one of the big parts of theosophy, it's going to get a little complicated, but I I promise I have a point here. Um, One of the big tenets of philosophy is uh, theosophy is this idea that uh, there's kind of two sorts of souls. There are souls that are evolving and humans are one of those type of souls and they're souls that are involving mm-hmm. and fairies are those type of souls in theosophy and involving souls are souls that are, are basically getting more and more simplified until they reach the, the mineral element. And then they start evolving. It's like a transition point. And to sort of make sense of this with fairies, she put them into these these involving souls, these primitive, um, not evolved souls, and then divided them by the four elements to, to give us this sort of concept of fairies as elementals. As far as I'm aware, Theosophy and, and Blavatsky specifically were the first ones to refer to fairies as elementals. It's not something you find before that. Um, everyone sort of jumps on Paracelsus. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and points to him, but that's actually not what he said. And he didn't divide them by the four elements. He actually had a list of, I believe it was seven. So he had celestial spirits, he had infernal spirits, human spirits, and then the spirit of fire, spirit of air, um, spirit of earth, and spirit of water. And each of those he sort of assigned to a thing. So celestial spirits are angels and infernal spirits are demons and human spirits are human dead. And then fire spirits are salamanders 
water spirits or undina. Um, I want to make sure as I'm saying this that I'm remembering the last two because I often confuse them. Um, spirits of earth are sylphs. There we go. That always mixes me up because in, in modern terms, we say spirits of air are sylphs. Yeah. But Paracelsus, yeah, when he was writing, he said, no, spirits of air are the Silvani and um, spirits of the earth are sylphs. Right. Right. Um, and then Blavatsky kind of took that and, and got rid of the top three. Yeah. <laughs> ditched the angels, ditched the demons, ditched the human dead. And just focused on the fairies connecting to these four um, specific elements. So I think we kind of, you know, we kind of can't blame Paracelsus too much no. for this. It was Bolotsky. Yeah, he wasn't actually talking about fairies at all in his categorization, really. I don't think. No, he was just using them as examples. Yeah. Certain things. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But, you know, his idea of embodiments of the elements was not meaning fairies or of elements. And that's all they are. <laughs> yeah. And, and he never said all fairies or, I mean, he was, you know, writing in Germany in the 15th, 16th century. So he wouldn't have used the word fairies. But no, he never said, you know, all what we would call fairies. Or divided up into these categories. He just happened to use a handful of what we now would consider fairies, like the the sylphs, uh, for example, and said that they were an example of this type of spirit. Yeah, um, spirit of birth in that sylph case. So it, it kind of got into theosophy, and then it gets very muddy from there. Um, yeah, and we we see this. You know, when Blavatsky's writing about it, she she's the one who says fairies are nature spirits and fairies are elementals and just sort of takes everything and throws it into a big blender. Yeah. And she talks about the Davies um, yep. and the the Paris. And these are from uh, the, the Devi are from Hinduism and Tibetan Buddhism and the, the Paris are from... Is it, yeah. is it Farsi? Yeah, I, th I, I think, think it's like the yeah, it's it's yeah, it's better. Yeah, it's and so she's she's oh she's doing what what you know new religions always do they pick little bits and pieces of older ones and and as you say put them in the blender and have at it and. Uh, yeah. And, and no, in her writings, she, she was pretty clear that just, you know, every named type of fairy that we would know, yeah, you know, pick a name, whatever it is, that no, they're actually all just this one thing. Yeah. And it's call them elementals, you can call them nature spirits. Um, and then she effectively just completely rewrote what that meant. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mentioned the part about she sees them as involved spirits, which means they are trying to evolve into being human mm -hmm. that they are they're, they're way down the the spirit evolution scale from humans and um, that definitely is not something we find no. uh, in most folk belief no. um, and i find that interesting that she sees them as as some sort of primitive soul um that that they are aiming towards being a, 
like a human and and able to evolve. Uh, it's just very human centric, and it's yeah. and it. I, very. I can't help but think that would cause some issues with you know the people that she's talking about, the fairy people. <laughs> what do you mean yeah. we're not evolved? <laughs> well, and you know I. Having looked at her writing and having read her writing specifically on fairies, I honestly think it was her way of sort of um, understanding and, and explaining why fairies are so mercurial and ambiguous and can be helpful to humans, but can also be dangerous to humans. And, you know, her way of sort of wrestling with that was to say, well, it's because there are these um, very primitive spirits who they don't. They don't have a higher consciousness. Uh, they're not conscious the way that we are. They don't understand. Uh, I'm waiting to be struck by lightning as I'm saying this. My computer explodes <laughs> yeah, I, I no, right. because I'm saying this out loud. Um, that they're these like primitive, unevolved spirits and that they, they do good and evil without differentiating because they're too simple to have a moral code. I was going to say they don't have a developed moral code the way humans do. And and yeah, very human, like you said, it's very human centric, y'all. We're not talking about you. We're just quoting someone who's incorrectly talking about you. <laughs> just so you know, <laughs> we don't believe this. I and I find it to be to be interesting in that there are a few literary stories, like from Anderson, Hans Christian Anderson that obviously he read some theosophy somewhere um, because he gets that, oh, we don't have souls the way humans do, but we would like to, and this is how we go about it. And I'm thinking of the little mermaid, um, yeah. the whole idea that, that, you know, mermaids don't have souls and, you know, the, the, at the end when she ends up, you know, killing herself, then she becomes part of this foamy, airy group of spirits that, you know, have to do good deeds so they can become souls. And yeah. it's, when I was a kid, that always, that whole part of that story disturbed me because I was like, it's a disturbing story. <laughs> well, Start to he was not writing happy stories at all, really. <laughs> he was not. And, and of course, his version is not the Disney version. Oh of no, no! I, mm, I always find it interesting the way people will will um, retell his stories, and they they you know come out as sweetness and light, and it's like mm, no, it's <laughs> not how it works. Yeah. Not the original. No. Yeah. No, and I think you know people underestimate how impactful Theosophy was at the time, um, you know, William Butler Yeats, for example, mm -hmm. it, he was a member of the Theosophical Society before he joined the Golden Dawn. Yep. And it, that was a very, you know, formative time in his life. I think he was in his late teens mm -hmm. um, when he first got interested in Theosophy. And you can kind of clearly see, in my opinion, you can kind of clearly see the way that that thought process, the way that those ideas impacted and influenced his work. Mm -hmm. You know, when he's writing about, allegedly writing about Irish folklore, um, we definitely see these theosophical ideas creeping in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, very much so.
Um, his 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 folklore is on shaky ground. A lot of it. Yeah. Yes. It's beautiful. His poetry is beautiful. His works are beautiful. I'm not saying they're not, but there's a yeah. lot of both theosophy and Western magical tradition by way of the Golden Dawn in there. Yes. And for sure. And yeah, no no shade to Yeats. I love Yeats. He's one of my favorite poets. But you know, we do have to kind of be honest about where his influences were and kind of how that impacted the material he was putting out. Yeah. I mean, he also uh, experimented with and uh, worked with automatic writing. Um, yep. He hung out with spiritualists and, and used some of the trans mediumship um, techniques. He and his wife both experimented with that. Uh, so, you know, he's not, he's not just, you know, running around talking with the, the people in the cottages and, you know, writing down their grandparents' you know remembrances and things. He's he's actively trying different techniques and trying to engage with spirits directly, and that is going to change the way that you look at them and the way that he looks at them. But if you don't know that, then you just assume. Well, I mean, Yates was Irish and he was there, so he should know, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's a little more complicated for sure. Um, but yeah, it, you're right. If, if people don't know, then you just make certain assumptions. And I think that's the same thing when we look at the, the influence of theosophy. You know, even though we can pinpoint this as a source, people don't know that. And then it's just this assumption of like, oh, no, this is what people believed. It's like, well, not exactly. You know, so another thing that, that Blavatsky gave us very particularly is the idea that fairies have no physical form mm -hmm. that they are purely energy beings and this is something you will find across the new age movement today and across yeah. a lot of witchcraft and paganism today yeah and it's completely at odds yeah <laughs> with the the living folk belief today as well as the you know the folk belief across the last hundred years yeah yeah um with you know uh little fairy woman coming up to your cottage door and knocking on the door and asking for a cup of oats. And, yeah. you know, if you give it to her, she'll, she tells you, well, I'll check your, check your oat box in the morning. I'll give you, you know, three times this measure or a hundred times this measure in return. And then she, you know, disappears or, you know, walks away. But, you know, she was clearly physical enough to knock on the door and talk with you and have a cup that she brought with her for the oats. Yeah, and we have we have all sorts of accounts, um, for example, on Delicious IE, which is an excellent site for the Irish folklore um, around 100 years ago. So just a little past Yates time. But, you know, we have all these accounts of someone who like stumbles across a group of of the good folk playing a game and is invited to join them. Um, and this is physical, like it's a physical game. Yeah. Um, or someone who sees the good folk when they don't want to be seen and, you know, gets the tar beat out of them. Yeah. So speak. Um, because, you know, they were offended. There's a story I'm doing, just one of my personal favorites. It's about a piper who saw a group of the good folk and they sort of invited him to join them. And 
he did for a little bit and then he he wanted to leave and one of the women in the group didn't want him to leave so was trying to get him to eat something because mm-hmm. of course that'll trap you with them um and he was very politely refusing her and she struck him on the the side of the head and blinded him mm-hmm. in one eye and you know these are all stories that are very tangible they're they're meant to be understood as this was a physical interaction you know, with a physical being. And I have talked to people even in the 21st century who have talked about having physical encounters, you know, with these beings. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's not, it just stopped yeah. <laughs> at a certain point. Yeah. That, um, and that's true. I mean, something tripped me and made me fall on my face because I forgot to give butter one time. I'm just saying. Yeah. It was really weird, but something did. That's a way yeah. to learn something, you know. <laughs> Don't forget. Yeah, well, I've had, I've had a gallon of milk yanked out of my hand. Um, I've had, I've had butter knocked out of my hand that then disappeared before it hit the floor. Ooh, and that was a half stick of butter. Ooh, now that's, yeah, that's physical. You know, even yeah. if you don't see what whacks you, or eats the butter or carries it away, butter doesn't just disappear like that. And I think I think that's another example of an area where Blavatsky was trying to explain something within the context of theosophy, because we do see across the folklore this idea that the good folk can be invisible, mm-hmm. that they can be around you, you might not see them. And I think for her, obviously, I'm I'm speaking for her, which I probably shouldn't do, but based on what I've read from her. I think this was her way of explaining that. Why are, why can they be around us and we can't see them all the time? Well, because they're actually these incorporeal energy beings, mm-hmm. you know, that, that have not yet evolved enough to have a physical form. Cause that's kind of that, well, I was talking about that, that um, pivot point in the mineral kingdom mm-hmm. that she writes about is sort of where things can take physical form and then start, um, behind plants and then animals and then humans. Right. And uh, that also comes with her whole idea of the root races of uh, beings. I don't even want to say human beings because the first two of the root races don't have physical form. And then we have the third root race, which came from Lemuria. This is very complicated, y'all. This is like seriously like heavy um ideas but they arose on the lost continent of lemuria and the first ones um had bodies so they were the first ones to be embodied um souls or spirits and uh they were people who gave uh who reproduced through eggs so they gave birth by laying eggs and hatching people and then you know, they evolved a little further, and eventually, they at the at the end of their uh, progress in Lemuria, they actually started having sexual reproduction like humans do today. And then Lemuria sank, and then we have Atlantis arising. So this is, and it, it goes on and on and on until we get to um, current human beings. Um, but it is very interesting that she has this idea that human beings spiritually evolved from beings that were non-corporeal and then they were corporeal but they 
they existed at the same time as dinosaurs and they they came out of eggs. So it, it, even so her her ideas with the fairies and the the mineral, you know, when they come down to the mineral stage and then rise up through uh, evolution to other physical stages, it, it follows with humans. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people, people read something like this, and, and you can find it online in, in various places. Um, and, and, you know, they get kind of, I'm sure people are snickering even now as I t- talk about Lemurian humans coming out of eggs and living at the time of the dinosaurs. Um, but it was, it was just the way that she saw evolution happening. She also had a a very different take on karma and reincarnation. Um, and that developed through her life. So her first writings on it are a little less developed. Um, you know, when I was younger, I, I was just, oh, she just was stealing, you know, Hinduism and Tibetan Buddhism and, you know, writing fan fiction about it. Um, <laughs> that's not really true. Yes, she did appropriate a lot of stuff, but she also put her own stamp on it. And yeah, yeah. and she did communicate. Supposedly, she did do trance um, channeling and did do automatic writing and was communicating with spirits or believed that she was communicating with spirits to get this material. So it's all in there. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's like any belief system. Um, You know, some people disagree with it and some people find meaning in it, you know, so not trying to, to criticize the people who find meaning in it, but you know, I, I do think that a lot of what we see with her writing, and this is true as well with the, the fairy material, was her trying to make sense of something within her own framework of belief. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that 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 actually is, is and I think that's a very salient point about it. Um, she was, she was looking at existing beliefs and fitting it into the structure of what she had come to understand and then making it make sense, which is honestly no different than what anybody else who's creating a philosophy or a religion would do anyway. You observe I mean, things I, and, and you yeah. try to make it make sense. Yeah. And you try to fit it into how you understand reality. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do have a lot of opinions oh, on this. And I, I'm not a fan of Lovatsky no. for multiple reasons. Um, but I, I do think that the way that she described and understood fairies and the way that that then was taken and incorporated into the last 150 something years of belief, particularly in paganism and witchcraft, it's a problem. It's a problem in my opinion. Um, And it's that anthropocentrism. It's that human centric Mm -hmm. attitude that, you know, you will still find today. There are books on the market, uh, you know, in the paganism and witchcraft genre that talk about, you know, creating your own fairy or Uh having a fairy servant 
or, you know, getting the fairies to guard your pet. I mean, yeah, no. All of this, it, and it's it's really in this mindset, though, that Blavatsky had that these beings were um, non-human and less than human. Yeah. And it, she also had a whole big thing with them about the fact that they, they have no fixed form mm -hmm. and they're only given form through human intervention. If you as a human being are engaging with the spirit and you imagine it a certain way or you picture it a certain way, then the, it's it's going to have that form because of you. Um, and to me, you know, that idea right there puts so much power with the human in that equation. Which is the you know, it's, exact opposite of traditional lore. Yes, exactly. Um, which isn't to say that, you know, fairies in traditional lore can't be deceptive and can't use glamour, which is the type of magic they have, to deceive people's senses and you know, to appear in a particular way if they want to. But the idea she was talking about was much more along the lines that the, the human beings, whether they were aware of it or not, were the ones who were giving these beings form and um, that were, were really just projecting onto them and then they are shaped to our expectations. And that, that's so much power for the human. That's the human being in charge of everything. Yeah. You know, and, you know, that idea that they're, they're intangible, they don't have physical bodies, which is very disempowering, in my opinion, to them. It's disempowering, and it's, it's I mean, what she's talking about sounds like uh, the concept of tulpa, which was brought to us by Alexandra David Neal, who was not a theosophist herself, but was, as Alison Jornlin and I said, was, we called it theosophy adjacent. Like, she was running in the same circles as a bunch of theosophists. And so yeah. they worked together, but she was not a member of the lodge, any of their lodges, and she didn't um, agree with them on various spiritual practices but the way that Blavatsky describes it 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 sounds like what Alexandra David Neal described as the creation of a tulpa yeah and okay yeah you can make a tulpa that's shaped like a fairy sure but is it a fairy mm, I don't think so <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm just saying I know. I definitely think that. I think that when we dig into it, there's a lot of issues going on with the idea that humans can create fairies, and that we could create a fairy that would then, you know, basically be a servitor spirit yeah. to human. Um, and like you said, there are certain different trains of thought that say that you can do this. The Tulpa is a good example. Um, Egregor is another mm -hmm. good example. Um, so it's not to say that humans aren't capable of manifesting a thought form or, you know, creating to some degree, I think we could debate how autonomous this would be, but creating to some degree um, something that we would call a kind of spirit. But that's not what fairies are. Yeah, exactly. I think that she essentially demotes them in yes. in um 
power levels from what was reported by uh, people who experienced them, you know, in the hundreds of years before she was born. And, and that, you know, I mean, maybe it would have been better if she just called them something else (laughs) and, and not, not mixed it all in there, you know? Yeah. If she had just called her concept elementals, but not tied it to the older folklore. Yeah. Not co- not referred to them interchangeably as fairies. You know, because at one point she really does very clearly say fairies and nature spirits and are what we call elementals. Yeah. So, you know, she's not ambivalent in any way. <laughs> this is what she was talking about. Yeah. Um, if she had just had these ideas and these theories and called them elementals, and then those could be a particular thing that we understand. Um, yeah. But because she equated them to fairies so strongly and so clearly, it, it's just caused a lot of sort of knock-on effect problems. Um, in no small part, I think, as I said at the beginning, because people don't realize that this is coming from Theosophy and from Vlatsky specifically. And they do sort of have this assumption or this idea that um, this is some sort of older traditional folk belief Um you know, as opposed to a very specific train of sort of um, magical lodge thinking, for mm-hmm. lack of a, a term. Um, you know, she she was also very clear that they are not individuals. Yeah. She's a whole thing where she writes about how fairies are um, effectively um, not just nature spirits, but like the um, forces in nature. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're aspects of natural things and that Therefore, they don't have any individualization. They're not individuals. They're, they have to go through that soul involution, evolution process in order to get to a point where they would be individual types of beings, um, which, again, is, is not something we find, generally speaking, across folk belief. Um, I, I have occasionally in, in modern contexts run into people who espouse this theosophical view um, generally without knowing that's what they're espousing, but uh, presenting fairies as sort of these hive beings. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can encounter what looks like an individual, but it doesn't have an individual consciousness. And I've watched way too many horror movies for that. Like I just, (laughs) I cannot find that a little bit creepy. No offense to ants and or bees, but you know, even ants and bees are individuals. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, it, it is a, I find that to be creepy too. It's the Borg. It's the Borg version of fairies and I don't like oh, it. That's so, a much better analogy. Yes. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 no. We don't need that. No, thank you. <laughs> um, oh. it's, well, and you know, the, like you said, the concept of it is just so at odds with folklore. Yeah. You know, we don't find that even when we see fairies in a group or social fairies or trooping fairies or whatever you want to call them, um, there's never this idea that they share like a single consciousness or that, you know, they, they somehow aren't individual beings within a group. Right. That with individual, I mean, it, it even goes against Shakespeare. Yeah. I mean, Puck is Puck. He's Puck. That's who he is. And and yep. he does not act the same as Oberon. Totally different. Yep. 
not the same, you know, mindset at all. So even in the literary tradition, she's she's bucking what has been, you know, written and 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 passed down and believed and experienced. It's the experienced part that bothers me. Because to yeah. me that that is devaluing and um essentially uh, not uh, gaslighting gaslighting actual experiencers who have the more traditional um types of experiences with fairies and you know it's it's fine for everyone to have an individual understanding Mm -hmm. of what these beings are and how they work but yeah it definitely does get a little problematic when you have a view that's so niche and so kind of at odds with everything else and then you do get people sort of arguing that like no everyone else is wrong and this this one very narrow sort of view is the only correct view um for the record i don't think there is any one correct way to understand fairies because it's just way too messy and complicated of a subject well Um, but yeah each culture has a slightly different way of understanding yep. them. So yep. we, we have no real way to know what is exactly right. Yeah. Um, I've, I've definitely encountered people because um, I have had personal experiences myself, which I've talked about on, on previous shows. Um, and I have had people try to tell me that I was wrong in what my experience was and sort of to re-explain it through this more theosophical lens, you know, and it's like, well, I get that you're trying to fit it into your framework, but that doesn't change what my actual experience was. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and there's, there's so many, um, especially from the late 19th, early 20th century up to mid 20th century, there's so many books that are written Mm -hmm. by uh, fairy experiencers or fairy seers that are through the theosophical lens and these these are people's actual experiences so now what's going on with that that's did did is it because they're theosophists that they saw fairies this way did did their ideas change the way fairies looked or acted what's happening um, I mean, I also think we have to consider the possibility that they were encountering spirits that were not fairies mm-hmm. in a context. Um, but it, because they're, I mean, as I'm sure you know, and for all the listeners who might not realize, there, there are innumerable types of spirits. Yes. I don't think humans will ever be able to conceive of everything that's out there. No. Um, you know, and... I think it's entirely possible that people do have encounters with beings and they use the framework they have to understand that. Yes. And if you're a theosophist and this is, I'm not a theosophist, but my understanding of it is basically everything that's not like an angel or a demon or a human ghost is a fairy. It's right. kind of how used to approach it. Um, so if you're having an encounter with something that is incorporeal, intangible, um, doesn't seem to have a form. It just maybe like a little ball of light or, um, cause I, I've read some of the descriptions, uh, from, from this sort of 
frame of mind um, approach. Yeah. And it's something that's positive and it's, you know, it really can't communicate in words, but it communicates in feelings, which is all sort of ticking off the boxes for theosophy fairies. Yes. Of course you're going to call it a fairy. Right. <laughs> you know, and even if that's true. even if you see a form with them, the the one thing that that they they describe it as, you know, you can see them as these bipedal winged, you know, little fairy people. Uh, they're their bodies are of finer stuff than ours. They're always see through or they're made of light, even if they have a body. Um and there's just countless descriptions of this through, you know, various books by various authors. Even Sir Arthur yeah. Conan Doyle um, wrote about that type of fairy and yeah. uh, fairy experience. But, you know, some of them, I, I read them and I go, okay, you're probably looking at a fairy, you know. Um, and yeah. then you're still a theosophist, but that sounds like a fairy. And then other ones, it's like, you know, they're, they're describing them helping these plants grow. You know, they, they'll see a branch on a tree that's looking sickly and kind of twisted or whatever. And then they see, you know, the fairies that are buzzing about in the tree going and, and helping that one branch out. You know, it's fascinating to read, but it's like, you know, you're probably just seeing the tree spirit. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm just well, saying. <laughs> This is where theosophy causes all of us today in, in Western culture a problem. Because I do think by throwing everything in that blender, we're getting things being labeled as fairies that would not have been understood as fairies and it still wouldn't be in a lot of places, but would not have been understood as fairies before theosophy. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, nature spirits are certainly a thing. And those are also something that we find across a lot of material um, going quite a ways back, but a nature spirit is not, in my opinion, a fairy. Although today I do kind of include them because it's just such a widespread belief, but you know, a nature spirit, like you said, it's the spirit of a particular tree or it's a spirit that is strongly connected to something in nature, usually plants. Um, but it's not what we would call a fairy. Yeah. Um, it, in that wider context, generally speaking, um, you know, there's a whole different box that you have to tick off for fairies, a whole different list. Um, yeah. And it doesn't line up with theosophy and that's, you know, it's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just a thing, you know, um, like the term, she, the, the Irish term, she is she for the, the people of the fairy mounds has gotten kind of popular. It's it's made its way into fiction and urban fantasy. And I've run across a lot of people in the last few years in witchcraft and neo-paganism who are trying to use the term she for anything that might be considered maybe a fairy. And that's not accurate. Um, you know, I've, I've run into people talking about, oh, I had a, an experience with one of the she you know, and then they're describing it and I'm like, I, you definitely had an experience, but whatever you were interacting with was not one of the Irish ace she. Mm -hmm. It was something else. And there's nothing wrong with it being something else, but people insist on sort of using this term because of whatever various reasons. And I think this is the exact same problem we run into with um, theosophists and fairies 
that, you know, are they having experiences? Yes. Are they genuine experiences? You know, yes. As, as far as I would ever be willing to judge. Sure. Um, is it what I would call a fairy? Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. It, it, yeah, it's almost always having to do with nature or natural yeah. things, water, um, or a particular place in the woods. If it's not just like one tree, it's something going on in a grove of trees, you know. And yeah, I, I see that basically as as beings of nature. And yeah, I'll call them fairies just because... I grew up thinking of them that way, but they're not the same as the she at all. Um, well, and I think a lot of us grew up thinking of them that way, largely due to theosophy. Uh -huh. um, this did become more widespread in the Victorian period as well. And there's other influences that were going on with that. But yeah, that idea of fairies as spirits of nature and nature spirits and um, all of that, that we were just talking about, you know, I think it became so sort of widely accepted in the early 20th century. And it it became something it, like at this point, like I said, I would personally not consider nature spirits fairies, but I call them fairies because it's such a ubiquitous idea. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to argue against it. Yeah. And I mean, now that we had that run of Tinkerbell movies that, you know, came out on DVD... Uh, yep. by disney they're actually pretty good i i don't mind them uh fox was definitely nature spirit fairies oh though. yeah fox was fascinated with them when when they were younger and so i've seen all of them um and and yeah those are nature spirit fairies and yep. you know when when morgana and i would talk with fox about fairies we'd be like okay that's just one kind <laughs> that's that's just one they're not all like that yeah. you know and that's usually like, I don't try to tell people this isn't a fairy or, you know, you're wrong believing this, but I, I definitely do take that same approach of like, okay, but that's one very specific thing. Mm -hmm. And now we have all of this other going on. Right. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's absolutely the truth. Um, that, that there's just so much variety and so many um, cultural uh, cultural tells, I guess, bits and pieces that are just tied to specific cultures that you can't, in so many ways, differentiate exactly with people. It's like, yeah. it, it, especially now that we have so much media that portrays fairies and elves and um, uh, gnomes and dwarves and everything in so many different ways. Uh, yeah. it, it's, it's kind of mind boggling. I'm really, yeah. I'm really curious to see where things are going to go, particularly as the Lord of the Rings has kind of seen a revival with the new show. Um, because for those of you that don't remember before the Lord of the Rings existed, because I know there's like a whole generation now that was born after that, but prior to the Lord of the Rings movies coming out, when people thought of elves generally, if I was talking to people in conversation about elves, they either pictured like the shoemaker's elves mm -hmm. or Santa's elves. Mm -hmm. Those were like your two options. 
Americans <laughs> in yep. popular culture. Yep. Um, and actually, you know, Tolkien, because he was writing based on Anglo-Saxon and um, Germanic and Celtic mythology, his elves are, are a lot closer in fairness to what the elves actually would have been like right. um, in the folk beliefs with a heavy dash of um, idealized Catholicism, oh, probably yes. a whole other conversation there. But after the movies came out, I noticed a distinct change where now all of a sudden, if you were talking about elves, that's what people are picturing. Yeah. They're picturing Tolkien's elves. And I'm wondering now that we've had the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Hobbit and now the new show, what's going to happen with dwarves? Yeah. In popular imagination, because his, his dwarves are different mm -hmm. from sort of pop culture idea. So, yeah. Yeah. I think if you talk about dwarves in a, in a fantasy setting before that, it would have been the seven dwarves from Disney that would have popped yeah. into people's heads. Maybe, yeah. maybe some of Arthur Rackham's dwarves. Maybe. But, but that's a big maybe. Comical. Yep, definitely comical, definitely um, smaller and slimmer. Yeah. I guess we'll say. Um, you know, because Tolkien's dwarves, they're um, shorter than the elves, but they're not uh, 18 inches tall, right. for example. Right. You know, and they're they're quite solid. Yes. Very much so. Yeah. And gnomes, of course, th those have been, you know, cemented in our head by the, the gnomes book from the 70s. And the show David the Gnome. Oh, that's true. David yeah. the Gnome was an excellent show. That's, that's true. <laughs> I'm like dating myself so badly. Yeah, you by are. Reference. But that's okay. Um, I'm older than you. So. <laughs> that, yeah, I have to admit that was very formative for me with gnomes. Like, I sort of have to, to work on moving past that. Uh, but that's the power of pop culture. No, it is. And, and it's yeah. true. There's just so much pop culture now with, with, as you say, elves, gnomes, dwarves, fairies. Yeah. And there's the D and D elves, you know, for those of us from, you know, the seventies and, and elf quest elves. Yeah. No, and it's and now you have elves in like manga. That's becoming a bigger thing there. Um, gaming, yeah. Uh, uh, World of Warcraft. Uh, uh, the other thing I want to see is what happens with the ears because mm -hmm. the pointed ears on elves have gotten really, really out there. Literally out there as it happens. Solar um, sails. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And some of them, I look at the artwork and I just, it boggles my mind because they're so non-functional. <laughs> like, I know. Like I know. This poor creature has ears sticking directly out of the side of their head. I know. It's like, do they live in the desert like the, the little fennec foxes? So they need that yeah. like air <laughs> to cool the blood yes. thing happening? What's going on? Yeah, they're I mean, cute. I, I don't, hey, fan art is I've, great I've and I love art. I'm, I'm not saying you can't draw that way. But. I've read a lot of stories where the ears are used as like expressive yes. features. So they like droop or they perk up, yep. which is a, a whole mental image. I know, right? <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, but it'll be interesting to see now that that Tolkien is once again kind of coming back around into the zeitgeist, if the ears will get smaller again, or if they're going to continue to go that sort of World of Warcraft manga direction and and be like a foot and a half <laughs> worth of ear. Yeah. It's a lot of ear. That's it's a lot of ear going on. A whole lot of ear. I mean, even the Ferengi don't have that much ear. You know, that's... <laughs> That, now, there's an interesting crossover. We can all have fun imagining. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it just it's the way that culture works. And for whatever reason, theosophy, when it was first around, you know, particularly 1880s and 1890s, was something that really caught the imagination of a lot of people. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it did. Not everyone you know, Yates did not stay a theosophist. He he started in that and then moved into more ceremonial magic kind of stuff. But he definitely kept a lot of those core ideas, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. you can see a lot of that in his work. And I, I think that's that's what's happened to a large degree with neo-paganism and witchcraft. You know, nobody remembers where it came from. Nobody remembers that it's from theosophy. But nonetheless, these ideas have really kind of embedded themselves, you know, across the range of, of witchcraft and neo-pagan beliefs, um, even in places that are explicitly trying to connect the older folk belief and older, like, cultural beliefs. There's still that theosophy yeah. under the surface. Yeah, it does. It comes right out waves its hand says hi i'm theosophy I'm, I'm in here i'm still in here uh it does i mean i i was at a, a lecture i was at a conference actually and there was a particular lecture being given by someone who's a druid and has been part of the druid community for a very long time um you know well respected all of that but they were talking about fairies being beneath humans Oh, and uh, you know, and on a on a hierarchical scale of spirits, that you know, fairies were below humans on this scale, and therefore, you know, fairies were sort of these lesser beings that could be commanded and directed. And that is straight up theosophy. You know, yeah. maybe a little magic mixed in, but that's straight up theosophy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean the the episode that's going to come out this this week. Uh, someone asked me if there was an, an, a safe way to uh, work with, with uh, the Fae. And I said, a perfectly safe way? No. I mean, you're not going to like my answer. No. <laughs> but th there are safer ways. And, and, you know, let's, let's talk about that. But he had been working with Goetic Spirits. And, and I said, you know, you're really going to think I'm wacky for saying this. But they're safer. Because they yeah. can be bound by human words and human deeds. Yep. Uh, fairies don't do that. Don't. Mm -mm, no. <laughs> that's a bad idea. That's, that's a bad plan to even try that. I said, you have to, you have to meet them in a way that shows respect and uh, that shows that you don't think you're above them because that is a very dangerous thing to believe if you want to work with them. 
Yeah, it's not going to end well for you. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I, and and he was actually somewhat surprised that I said that the the goetic, you know, commonly called demons, I would call them goetic spirits, were yeah. safer. And I'm like, absolutely. Oh no, I I 100% agree with you, um, and for the reasons that you said, because they they are also beings who have a particular structure in how we approach them. There's a system. Mm-hmm. As long as you follow the system and you do things a certain way, meet certain expectations, you know, don't do certain things, um, you know, it's, it's, it is fairly safe, um, you know, within all of that understanding. Yeah. Yeah. When you're dealing, yeah. When you're dealing with the good folk, you- things get very complicated. First of all, because there's such a huge range mm-hmm. that we're talking about. And even if we were talking about like one specific type of being, it's, it's like dealing with a particular human, you know, maybe they'll like you unexpectedly and things will go better than you thought. Maybe they just won't like you and then nothing you can do is going to change that. You know, they can't be petitioned and worked with in the same way that those those goetic spirits can or certain other types of like angelic spirits Mm -hmm. uh, you know what have you that we have these established systems for Um, we have systems for for interacting i was gonna say dealing with interacting with the good folk um but they're not foolproof they're they're very sort of dependent on a lot of factors and also on you know, just luck, I think, in some cases. Yeah, yeah, luck, blind luck sometimes. Yeah. Uh, it also depends on, you know, what fey people live in your neighborhood, yeah. how they've interacted with humans in the past. Yeah. I mean, and, and what's really even probably the worst is you may be lucky and, catch them on a good day and they like you and then you, you get careless and yep. and then you know the next time you try to talk with them I don't know they'll knock you onto the onto the floor you'll fall down <laughs> the stairs you know <laughs> whatever well, I do you know um, yeah no and I think I think that's another thing that people particularly people coming from a more modern witchcraft or um, ceremonial magic kind of background have a hard time with the fact that, you know, when it comes to the good folk, you can't just keep doing it and then you'll eventually do it the correct way and it'll work. Um, if, if they don't like you, then you need to read the room yeah. <laughs> and realize that yeah. and, you know, see yourself out and not, not push because a lot of the times when I've talked to people who've had problems um, coming more from that background, it's because their thought was just keep doing it because you're just doing something wrong that you're not aware of and you just refine it until it works. Mm-hmm. And you know, with the good folk, it's not a matter of, you know, you didn't draw this symbol correctly or you brought them, you know, skim milk instead of cream. Although I don't recommend doing that because that will annoy them. But it's it's just a matter of either they are going to like you and respond to you or they are not. Yeah. Um, again, speaking very broadly with they here, cause yeah. multitudes yeah. actually go, but you know, if, if you're going to be successful 
part of that involves just being aware of when to get out. Yes. And when to keep pushing forward, you know? Yes. When to stop. Yes. As I said, nobody likes to be chased around. <laughs> nobody. <laughs> if they're not, if they're not talking to you, then just, it's almost like, you know, telling someone, you know, I know you like that girl, right? And you think if you just keep asking her out, she'll say yes someday. That's not how it works. Yeah. You know, that's how it, maybe it works in movies, but that's not a good way to talk to any human being at all and, and, and yeah. make them like you because it's not going to make them like you. It's going to do the opposite. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't, I just think that a lot of people aren't good at trusting themselves. Yes. You know, knowing when the girl is not interested. Yeah. Teach analogy. Yeah. And I also think when, when you say not trusting yourself, um, one thing that people do make a mistake with is they don't trust the answer that they get because it's subtle. And so they think maybe their brain is playing tricks with them and maybe they're making it up or maybe that doesn't mean anything. And so they push again, looking for a flashier, more obvious answer. And I was kind of like, you know, fairy, the good folk don't do flashy necessarily until they do. Sometimes yeah, they're subtle until they're not. I think sometimes too the problem comes in when people are getting an answer, but they don't like the answer. So they, they choose to see it as not clear. Yeah. I've, I've run across that sometimes too, where, you know, they ask and the, the answer, it might not be like in your face, but it's, it's, it's subtle, but it's definitely there. Um, and they don't like it. So it's kind of like people who read tarot. Mm-hmm. When you pull a card and you don't like the card, so you're like, let me reshuffle and ask again. And it, yeah. Well, when I do that, usually the card comes back. <laughs> yeah, usually. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I think with the good folk, um, you, you might get the same card a couple times, but then eventually you're going to have like your deck burst into flames. Yeah. yeah. Or get thrown yeah. at you or. Yeah. 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 Um, Cause like you said, they're, they're subtle until they're not. And when they're not, they, they very much are not. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And that is part of that theosophy bit because it, by saying that they are below us, we underestimate their power and abilities. And that's a yep. bad place to try to make a relationship. Definitely. Definitely. And that, that plays into even just the idea of keep pushing with it. Because if the humans are the evolved spirits and the humans are the ones who have the power and the control and, you know, are just trying to engage with these sort of lesser spirits, then that is going to lend itself to a mindset of, you know, this has to work the way I want it to. Yeah. Because I'm in charge here and, and we are not in charge. No, generally. No, we're not. And it's, yeah, I think that's the most, I guess, dangerous. It sounds a little drama queeny to say dangerous, but it is. That's the most dangerous part of the theosophical uh, hierarchy of spirits that that has, you know, sort of 
wended its way into neo-paganism and uh, witchcraft. Because, of course, you know, you can have a neo-paganism that is completely, um, you know, theurgic. You, you do worship of a god. You do worship of gods. You you give gifts to gods. You praise gods. You know, it can be all that. But most of the time, there's a magical component where you are doing magic, where you are um, shaping things with your beliefs and your abilities with magic. And that's a dangerous thing when you're talking about the good folk because they can do that too. And they have no compunction about if you start stepping on their toes with correcting you. Hopefully nicely, at least the first time. Because if, if you're, with the ones that are more friendly towards humans then they they generally will give you a couple warnings yeah yeah but again you never know you know who you're gonna run across you know if you if you have the ability to to know what's there and know what you're working with that's one thing but I just I remember that passage in, in in the particular book you're talking about about you know making your own fairy and I, I remember seeing that in a store and reading it and just you know I was like I, I just it, I can't even I, w- I was I laughed and then I was like no it isn't really funny that's that's asking for things <laughs> that are not going to be pleasant and I it, I was just shocked. And then, of course, you know, I was talking with Zach and he was like, oh, that's that's theosophy for you. That's what happens yeah. when you, you know, decide to take beings that have just as much agency and arguably even more uh, personal power than humans. And and you whittle them down to things that don't have souls and aren't as smart as us. Well, that's not a good idea. It's so, yeah, it is worrisome. And, uh, I mean, how do, do any other witches, like, I know you talk about theosophy and, and where it came from and how it got into witchcraft. Yeah. Are there like other people that will point that out? And if there are, does anybody nab onto that and go, oh, yeah? Or is it all what? You know, yeah, I'm honestly not 100% sure. Obviously, you and I have had this conversation. Yes, we have. Um, I actually first became really aware of it uh, through Chris Woodyard, mm-hmm. um, who is not uh, paying as far as I know. Um, she was giving a keynote speech at a conference and sort of traced some of this out the history of how fairies became nature spirits and theosophy's impact and all of this. Um, Cause I'd always kind of known it wasn't from uh, the older or the traditional folklore. I, sh- I, I hate shouldn't say older because it, we do still find this belief um, very commonly outside of uh you know, pop culture and, and neo-paganism and the new age movement. 
Um, if you go to like Ireland and you talk about Irish fairies, none of this applies. They're they're very um, not theosophical. Yes, generally, um, and that's true today as much as it's ever been true. Um, but I had never really known for sure. I had seen people quote Paracelsus, but I hadn't bothered to to look it up for myself. And um, I was aware of Theosophy, of course, but I hadn't really dug into it. But when I heard uh, Chris Woodyard giving that keynote speech about it, um, it really got me thinking. And then I decided to dig into it for myself. And I was kind of surprised, I think, initially, as I'm sure a lot of people are, you know, having been part of neo-pagan witchcraft since the early 90s, to see how much of sort of those core beliefs is coming from theosophy and things that have been influenced by theosophy. Because I would even argue that the Golden Dawn has a lot of mm-hmm. theosophical influence going on. It does. It does. Um, you know, so it's, it's definitely something that I can't think of any pagan or witchcraft authors that I'm familiar with really getting into, but I, I wish someone would, I wish we would see it more commonly talked about that, um, that this is sort of the, the foundation because theosophy, which again is, is a modern path. So I'm, I'm trying not to be too super critical, but the, the roots of theosophy, there's a lot of stuff going on with that, that is not necessarily things we want to carry forward. Absolutely not. Way. Yeah. This will get real long if we start listing them, so we're not going to. I might right. do it. I might do another episode at some point with, you know, exactly why we don't need to be carrying it forward. Um, because. Yeah. yeah. Some of the other issues going on with it yeah but for that episode for that episode if we both did it we should get cat involved in it too because the the root races bit i'm sure she could go off for a good 15 20 minutes at least yeah yeah well we have to talk about steiner and yep that, that we could we'd be here at least another hour if we start getting into that now indeed um yeah because it's it is very complicated. And yes, the Golden Dawn does have a lot of influence from theosophy, as well yeah. as, of course, Paracelsus and um, a lot of the older writers um, yeah. and and magicians, Enochian magics in there and, and all of that. Um, and again, you know, people think that, that that is, you know, that's ancient history and it doesn't really matter anymore, but it does because there are threads of it that have come in uh, into modern thought and then that just keeps getting passed down and yeah. not questioned. And uh, so I was, I was kind of, I was kind of hoping people were questioning it more, but maybe, maybe we'll Hopefully get some questions. People listen to this and start questioning it more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, theosophy even has appeared in, in like the whole UFO contactee literature. Yeah. And of course the new age movement in, um, in America and England, it's all, it's all up in that it's in modern, uh, spiritualism as well. Mm -hmm. Those two, you know, 
spiritualism is a little is older, um, and it influenced theosophy, but they both still exist and they're both still influencing each other. Yep. And people are writing from those perspectives still. And yeah, I just, yeah, it would be good if we could get the idea to understand what is at root in, in neo-pagan and witchcraft and uh, fairy folklore or fairy belief that, that there are, it's not, it's not simple. It's not. No, it's it's complicated. But that's okay. But yeah, but it, it would be good if people would dig into it a little bit, and you know, I'm not saying toss out the things you believe, but just be aware of where they're coming from. Yeah, because um, I have a certain level of frustration when I run across people who will try to argue that, like, oh no, this is this is like the old genuine way that these beings were understood. It's like, well, no, not really. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Or even even more interesting, um, people will take those beliefs, the theosophical sort of nature spirit thing, and then attach it to Native American spirit folklore and beliefs. Yeah. And it's like, oh, no, please, no. Let, let's not go well, there. I I think that gets back into something you'd said a while ago about the the sort of appropriation that went on yeah. with Blavatsky. Um, I think when you have something that's foundational principle, and this would apply to anything, that's foundational principle is everything goes into the blender, and then everything gets understood through this this very specific framework and label. Um, that's going to perpetuate that idea that when you run across something new, it also goes in the blender. It has to go in the blender. Yeah. It becomes part of the fairy Borg. Yes. Boy, I might have to draw a fairy Borg now, (laughs) but (laughs) yeah, that is kind of, kind of how it works. And uh, yeah, there's, there's so many issues with the whole idea of theosophy being applied to Native American lore about their spirits that are analogous to fairies. Yeah. I mean, it's bad enough that people will say, oh, well, that came over with the the, the Scots-Irish or, you know, the English. And I'm like, no, 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 it did not. A lot of that is a lot older, especially if you're talking about people over in, in California who were living over there while, you know, the Puritans were still messing stuff up in Massachusetts. Still saw little, yeah. you know, still had spirits that are analogous to fairies. You know, it would help yeah. if the book uh, that that is about that, that has so many um, entries with so many different languages and so many cultures didn't cost something ridiculous like $700 because it was yeah. only printed once. I was gonna say either either it's super expensive or it's out of print. You can't find it. It's often the problem. Yeah, it is. It is out of print. It's hard to find. But you know, I also haven't seen a way to get a hold of someone and say, "Can we republish this, please? This is useful. <laughs> this is really useful." Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, you'll see that. You'll also see Theosophy in. 
um, as I was saying, with contactees and uh, alien abduction uh, belief systems that are now coming forward, there's a lot of theosophical, that blender approach. Yeah. Um, I really, I would really like if somehow I could get the meme of unverified personal gnosis injected into the UFO uh, contact uh, abduction culture so that there's a lot of people making a lot of uh, universal statements from what they are revealed through Mm -hmm. their unverified personal gnosis and then they will apply it uh, generally to pre-existing cultural belief systems and that's yeah that'll start a fight with me i'll get yeah. upset <laughs> yeah. it's, it's colonialism yes it is right? yes it is yes yeah yeah and i'm i'm the one who will stand up and go no 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 we can't do that you can't say that that your alien goddess lady that you've seen is the same thing as white buffalo woman no 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 you may not say that no, we, we, I mean they will. They will. They shouldn't. They will do it. Yeah. Oh yeah, I was told in no uncertain terms that they were going to do it anyway because they had the perfect right to do it because they were told by this alien goddess yeah. lady herself. I was like, oh boy. Yeah, I think have, since, have, we're, since we're being ranty, I'll, I'll end this on a ranty note too. I think that another problem we have in the community, neo pagan witchcraft, etc., at the moment is this sort of idea of, and I don't know if it's coming from monotheism, because I, I didn't start out as a monotheist, so I don't always get those references, but this idea of like being divinely empowered as an individual, like a particular spirit or goddess or whatever being contacts you and therefore you you are like their prophet, I guess. Mm. And like, you have to go preach the, the great truth. And it's like, that's just so cringy to me. Yeah. Um, if we could do that as a community, that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good rant. That's, that's a, yeah. I, I think it came from Protestantism and to some extent in Catholicism, but not as much as um, evangelical charismatic Protestantism. Okay. Having gone to some of those churches as a um, teenager, there's a lot of God spoke to me. It's very personal. You know, God spoke to me. The angel spoke to me. Satan was, you know, Satan chases these people around all the time, seriously, um, causing them problems. Um, But then Jesus will talk to them and tell them they need to do this, that, or the other thing. And so they feel empowered to do that. And that's how you have people empowered to heal and to do all of these things. But I think that's part of where that came from. That sounds like it. Yeah. I mean, I do believe that people connect to spirits and you can get messages from spirit. I just get very, the cringing comes in when people are like, you know, everything you were ever told about this is wrong, but I've been given truth. Yeah. And everyone's to me and like you were saying the the nice alien lady 
told me that she was white buffalo calf woman, which is no. horrifically great. No, no, she, um, please, no, sir, please. Right. Um, and it's just like, you know, it, it goes from being personal gnosis, where this is personal to me, to being sort of um, forcefully applied to others, we'll say. And yeah, that's if we could just not do that, that would be awesome. Yeah, it would be great. <laughs> it would yeah. be a great step forward. Um, yeah, because I used the uh, the term unverified personal gnosis, and that that just went over heads. I was used to talking with pagans. I was like, oh, wait, wait, wait. You don't know what that is. Hold on. Yeah, It still didn't work. Um, we can hope in the future yeah. that it will get yeah. better. <laughs> All right. And this on a hopeful note. <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll end with a hopeful note. All right, so you do have a new book that just came out right? I do. Um, okay. 21st Century Fairy, um, ironically, given what we've been talking about tonight, 21st Century Fairy just came out. Um, and it's it's a look at modern beliefs around fairies, how they kind of evolved, how they differ from some older things, and also some modern accounts of fairy experiences and just sort of grounding fairies in the, the modern world, basically. Excellent. Well, my copy's coming tomorrow. So I'll read it. Maybe I could have you back and talk about that. Or we can, you know, go on another little rant about something. That's, that's fine too. <laughs> All right. Thank you for being here with me. And thank you for talking about theosophy. I, I suspect theosophy is going to get talked about again soon. So, uh, yeah, I think theosophy and spiritualism, like you said, that would make an interesting conversation. Oh, yeah, because I really think they're bouncing off each other to this day. And, and that's yeah. that's kind of like, you know, I don't know, dueling belief systems or or uh, the whole idea of an excited uh, electron bouncing from atom to atom you know, <laughs> back and forth. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you.